0: Browns, your daily podcast covering the Cleveland Browns, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day, including Christmas Day. Uh, guys, the schedule was uh, kind enough today, the way everything went, and, and the, uh, the Lloyd Princesses are very deep into whether it may be laptops, makeup, new vanities, but uh, yeah, they're not going to be b- bothering anybody. They're off to a good time. Uh, so why not? It's, it's Christmas day. We're a daily podcast. Uh, we we tried to get one in yesterday. Uh, I still think we're going to have a really early coffee session tomorrow morning with John Costco. So we'll still get you that. I'm trying to do everything I can here to keep the schedule as normal. Cause guys, look, you know, with the holidays, it's also the end of the football season. So, you know, come after Sunday, so much game talk, we're not going to have, we're still going to do continually pump out shows and put out really good shows. But, in you know, let's we want to keep the routine here and at least carry this through week 17 before we start exploring some other avenues. Um, so joining me here this Christmas evening, first off, and everybody, all Browns fans related, uh, it's coming out a little late. Uh, Merry Christmas. I uh, hope you guys got a chance to check out the YouTube video from Paul Brown. Uh, you know, when he first sent it over to me, I was like, oh, Paul, Paul's got these great silly ideas. And I was like, you want to know what? Let's do this one. Um, you, know, you know, Paul is definitely a thinker and has fun with things, you know, and I appreciate that. Um, and you know, actually someone who else joined in and is going to join here this evening. Uh, but you know, the 12 days of Christmas guys, if you haven't seen it yet, it's good. It's fun. Uh, I'm in there. Pete Smith who's joining me here tonight. Jake Burns guys, as you know, Nathan Zagar is in there. Um, a bunch of other guys, uh, Mark Sessler from NFL network, who's fun enough to join too. So guys go ahead check that out. It's, it, it's good for a laugh and, uh, it'll just tell you that we should all stick to what we're doing and there should be no thoughts of a singing career. Although Ben Albright did try to audition for a pop album though, Pete.
1: Uh, yeah, he was, look, he was one of those guys who was, that dude in Florida who got busted for tax evasion or whatever he did, putting boy bands together. That was, Albright was in there, man. He was short enough to pass for like 14 when he was 23.
0: <laughs> and definitely, you know, went for the baritone role. So God bless him on that one. Pete, uh, I'm going to get this first, uh, the article you put out today. And, you know, it, and it, it's, you know, look, I mean, you guys, you understand where we're at with Jarvis Landry. Um, But it gets down to it of is, you know, you don't have to be a guy who had ridiculous production on a ridiculous amount of power on on targets. It's the most, it's in what we've been saying, it's the most of you taking the opportunity that you are given. Darren Fells, three touchdown receptions example. But get into that a little bit here, because we want to talk a little bit, you know, obviously, you know, we're going to look to add to this wide receiver core, but guys, there's steps to it. You know, look, we're, we're concluding the tape that we have on these guys. Um, if these guys go to all-star games, you do want to see how they're going to go against guys of their caliber. We're going to take you th- a little bit through what we're going to look through for in, in what we're looking for in combine. That There's there's things there. There's traits when you're competing against other guys that are your equal and you're all going for draft position that are going to kind of show yourselves and help you lean towards what you're looking for. But Pete, go ahead a little bit on the article today.
1: So man, the, the idea here was uh, to, to answer a couple questions. First and foremost, uh, you know, how do the Browns receivers actually look? You know, how good were they this year? Uh, how good was Jarvis Landry this year specifically? Because, Obviously that's, that's, that's my own, uh, battle. Uh, and then the one that's sort of popping up lately, uh, that I've seen from a lot of people is do the Browns really need any more receivers? And so, you know, there's another week to play, but I sort of wanted to get it, get this out and sort of look at it entering the last week of the season. And, and basically, uh, when it came to, you know how do the bronze receivers, and this includes running backs and tight ends, uh, is that Richard Richard Higgins has had a great great year. He's clearly uh, the best receiver with Baker Mayfield, and certainly uh, having him for basically off training camp and all that stuff, uh, you can clearly see the chemistry. Uh, but in terms of like catch percentage and yards per per target, which is different than yards per catch, that's because it, that takes into the account the idea of how much energy is being spent getting this player the ball? So, you know, Jarvis Landry obviously has 140 targets. That's a ton. So people will argue with me and talk, well, he's got almost a thousand yards. You're putting this much energy to get him this thousand yards. Is the is it is the juice really worth the squeeze? And based on what I was looking at, he is of all the receivers on this team, and and including running backs, he was second to last. of guys who caught the ball who are still on the team he's ahead of Nick Chubb but he's behind guys like Damian Ratley obviously they don't have a ton of targets but he's second to last this is the guy who's supposed to be your number one guy uh this also looks at guys like Brashard Perryman and clearly he's been a huge splash and 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 you want to investigate that you want to bring him back and see what he can do uh as an unrestricted free agent but at the same time and this goes to the the larger point of do the bronze even more receiver help? He's got 13 catches. I mean, it, this is not like you can say, oh, the bronze are set, the bronze are set here. Uh, you can't count on, that. and you really can't count on Rashard Higgins as much as I hope this is something that translates, and I'd like to see you know that continue. It's one year you can't really bank on that as as being reliable. So my conclusion is 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 that guys like Rashard Higgins were great this year. David Njoku. Is sort of a mixed bag. There's a couple things where he's really good. There's a couple things where he's really got to improve. And, and, and sort of certainly he's improved during this year. Uh, we can sort of see him growing, but there are things he needs to do better uh, in heading into year three to really establish himself. Uh, and do the Browns need more receiver help? The answer is definitely. Uh, if anything, the numbers really point to the fact that Baker Mayfield is. You know, As good as people know he is, he, he may even be better than, than the credit he's getting for give, given who he's throwing the ball to and, and some of the guys that are making plays for him. Uh, but th- there's just a lot to like in terms of what he's doing. But they've got a lot of young guys. The other thing that you can take away is the bronze running backs are really, really good. And uh, even in the passing game, and, and we're going to leave another year where we're going, why, why isn't Duke Johnson getting the ball more? So that's sort of that. Uh, there's a bunch of numbers you can look at, so by all means, check it out. Uh, and then you can continue telling me how Jarvis Landry is going to impact the locker room and make everyone better. And if he is great, uh, then we can put him on the sideline, and he can just naturally uh, just espouse his greatness on the rest of the team while he watches and doesn't get the ball thrown at him.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, of course, Pete was not going to get out of there though without uh, giving his jab at uh, Jarvis Landry. Um, Pete, I, this I think is with Higgins. I believe it was probably the Raven game. Um, you know, he had the touchdown; it was crucial in that game. That was also uh, the game where he got hurt. And we had said the chemistry had become really good between these two, and you were going to notice a little bit of an issue. And you know, that's basically when you know the offense went south and led to the firing of an offense coordinator and the head coach on the same day. Um, it. What, the thing that I keep going back with it with Higgins is look. You know Baker as much as he's talented, Baker's also smart. And you know this is the thing that you see a lot. You know, uh, you know, we go we, we go back to the Landry touchdown versus Carolina. No, neither D back had their eyes on Baker when, they, when he released the ball. Him for him in that instance, if I put it in my place, I, I think I can. My guy's gonna make the play. Um, you think a guy like Rashard Higgins who shows. A lot of football intelligence in what he does, so it makes sense that these two relate the way they do. Does what he sees now that if you're gonna if you would feed him more targets, do, do you see an 81,000 guy? Ah, I'm not so sure we have that, but you could easily see a consistent you know 55 to 65 reception type of guy. Obviously very huge on third down. Um, and, but you know, and then there's a lot of things. I mean, you know, I know you. You know, you love the yard after the catch. The touchdown that he had on Sunday it was just a ridiculous effort on his part where he caught the ball, took it all the way across the field, was able to get it upfield, get it in the end zone, but a smart heady player. Um, I guess we'll go with it here. As we talk about we're gonna add wide receiver to this here, guys. You know, we're to the point now where pretty much you have every tape you're gonna get on anybody, you know, whether they're an underclassman. Um, you know, and one thing, if you you know, if guys you ever want to learn why Greg Robinson is on his third team now in five years. It's don't fall in love with what somebody did during these next two games of the playoffs that you're about to watch. If somebody was good in them, that's fantastic. But you better go damn sure hard and make sure you knew where this guy was for for his entire career up until this point. Greg Robinson built up a ton of steam as Auburn was able to run the ball through the first ever college football playoff and put up massive amount of yards. And you want to know what? What is Greg Robinson today? He's a really good run blocking guy. Um, still has issues in pass block and that's what it is here five years later so through this in the playoffs don't fall in love with a guy just over this small sample of you know this the two games or whatever it is that these guys are gonna play just because it's on a bigger stage and everybody's watching it and you may be at a par- you know at a party or whatever and it's on you just can't do it now we'll move into it. Um, you know The All-Star Games are fun. You can take a lot out of it. Um, for Pete, you know, Pete who will be there, you get to see a guy's day-to-day work ethic ability, You know how, how they go about their business. The other thing is they're going to get down there and be around NFL coaches who are going to say, look, you've been always been told at your college program how to do this. Uh, you're going to be taught by 30 out of 32 NFL teams. You might want to try doing it this way. So starting tomorrow, we want you to do it this way. So go into that a little bit, Pete.
1: Um, so there's a couple things. First, you know you can get guys who can fake it for a week. Um, unfortunately, that does happen. You get guys who, who you know understand what's sort of at stake, and they're basically Superman. They do everything for a week. But there are certain things you can't really uh, fake, and that's being able to get coached up on something and then sort of apply it as the week goes on, and you can sort of that, see that day-to-day growth. It's not about how guys show up on day one. Certainly, um, it's great when a guy can show up and he's just better than everybody else from the word go. Obviously, Baker Mayfield was one of those guys, and there, lots of those. But but one
0: thing, but one thing there though is, guys, some of these guys will have gone thirty something days without even doing any real football practice. Some of these guys, you're going to get seven, eight, nine days off of the the college playoffs. So that some of that does weigh into it,
1: right? And that's unfortunately a. a real thing is you, you sort of have to reacclimate, which is unfortunate. And, and the guys this hits the hardest uh, tend to be Ivy League guys whose seed, season has been over for the better part of uh, almost two or three months at that point, two, three months.
0: Or guys coming um, from shit college programs.
1: Right. that That's true, too. But I mean, like the, the, a lot of those smaller schools have really super bridge seasons for whatever reason. And they're coming in at sort of a deficiency anyway, so it can be a really difficult adjustment. But you're really interested in seeing how do they adjust from day one to day three in terms of pra- the padded practices. Is a guy taking coaching and getting better? Is a guy sort of adjusting to what guys are doing to him? Obviously, you take an offensive lineman uh, who's, who's going to the pitch drill every day. Is he sort of figuring out? What moves a guy sort of brings, and if that guy's not adjusting and he's just a guy who's going to swim every time, is by day three, is he figuring out that if I just bust this guy in the ribs, I'm going to stone him every time, or, or is he really giving something that's going to you know, switch it up? You sort of see those that chess game, that adjustment guy, the guys have. Uh, And and obviously it's a little bit the same with with receivers and DBs and the running backs, blocking linebackers and those type of things and those coverage drills. So there's a lot of that stuff. Um, You know, how they practice, how they sort of take coaching. Are they a guy that can sort of you know can they can they pick it up as they go or are they a guy that struggles are they, you know do they have to have it explained to them you know three and four times are they a guy that has the entire line go in front of them and then they get the drill wrong which coaches cannot stand uh, you always hear that speech of your you know sick person like I am and and Jeff is and you watch the combine and you see a the the guys running those drills and they lose their mind when the guy who's been in there and you know, the 23 guys before him did the drill and then they do it wrong and he has to start them over. Don't be that guy. Uh, so you see a lot of that thing. And then obviously you, you know, the media day is sort of a, it's not a huge deal, but you do sort of see guys who are comfortable in their own skin. It's the least rehearsed you're ever going to get with interviews. Uh, they haven't been sort of inundated with the agents, sort of teaching them how to answer questions and avoid getting themselves in trouble. Uh, even if, they're not really getting themselves in trouble, so you get sort of the most genuine answers and, and sense of, of who players are. You get a sense of who's really enjoying the process, guys who really love talking about the game, and guys who you know might be nervous about what they're doing or you know don't really don't enjoy sort of uh, you know talking to to people or, or feel like you know that, that somebody's trying to get them in trouble or something you get a sense for that and and some of those things matter and some of the don't some of it's just a matter of you know trying to get a feel for the person like uh Larry Ogunjobi is fantastic I, I told him I had a chance to talk to him when he was there I told him he should be a public speaker because uh, he's just super super engaging and if you watch him talk now uh that's clear he's Tremendously charismatic and, and just a great guy to talk to. So some of those things are some of those things are, are great. Some of those things are more anecdotal and not terribly useful. Like Joe Schobert was kind of reserved and 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 uh, sort of stuck to himself a little bit. But you know he's a phenomenal football player. So it's just a fun process. Uh, some guys uh, make it a lot more fun than others. Some guys make you work for it, and some guys are you know have to have to sort of be able to. Uh, get a sense of what you're, where you're coming from. And some just want to know that you actually know what you're talking about before they really want to engage because they hate answering generic questions and that stuff. And then there are guys. Uh, Michael Sam, my most famous one, had no interest in talking to me. This is long before he came out and all that stuff. Uh, but he was unpleasant to talk to. It was largely my fault, but just <laughs> some of those things that uh, – that you run into, uh, I had no idea at the time what was going to come out and all that stuff, uh, but not not good for me, not good for him. It was just clunky and, and awkward, but that's just sort of how that stuff goes. Uh, some guys are some guys are phenomenal uh, and, and make it a lot of fun.
0: Um, now here for me, from my personal experience, doing uh, you know draft interviews in you know 2014, we, you know uh, Joe Marino over at the Draft Network, we, we, we did a couple of interview shows with a bunch of guys. Um, you guys constantly hear me talk about Dayon Buchanan. Dayon Buchanan first things first he came from a military family so he his work ethic and everything he does and I remember when I was sitting down you know one you know I asked for some questions that some people wanted answered one thing was it, it always seems like Dayon Buchanan is the is the last guy to get set on his defense So when I had Dayon Buchanan on we asked him about it and Dayon said yeah he's like I heard a little bit about that. He says, but about game four, I was in charge of where the defensive line was supposed to set up. I was in charge where the linebackers were setting up and the secondary. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Obviously, he's going to be the last one to set up if he's making sure that all other 10 guys are in the same spot. Then there's other guys, you know, who I had spoken with. Some guys I won't even drop the names. Uh, There were a couple of guys, I I swear to God, they were probably stoned to the bejesus, uh, uh, you know, during the freaking, during the phone call. So it was like, all right, well, thanks for even answering. I, I have no idea why. Uh, guys like that uh, came away. Steven Nelson, cornerback from the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, obviously, guys, we saw him this year Had a monster game against the Browns. Steven Nelson spoke like a cornerback should talk. Yeah, not, you know things like, you know, yeah, whatever, go ahead, beat me. But you want to oh, know what? You better throw it at me the next 10 times and see if you're going to beat me again. And things of that nature. And just he carried himself, and even as a little bit of a smaller corner, carried himself like he was elite size, elite traits. And, and that was a guy who absolutely resonated with me. And to see the success now he's having with the Kansas City Chiefs zero surprise to me. Um, Guys, you're listening to Locked On Brown's podcast here. Me and Pete Smith, yeah, this will go out and it'll still be Christmas when you get it. Guys, again, Merry Christmas, everybody. Uh, I did want to give a special shout out. My buddy Brian Beat Peacock, he hosts Locked On 49ers. Um, Brian is actually one of the guys that helped me get in the door here at Locked On. Had mentioned about the opening in the Browns. He was one of the guys that first reached me out to our boss, David Locke. Da, uh, brian peacock does a fantastic show over locked on 49ers has just surpassed one million downloads for the calendar year ridiculous insane amount locked on 49ers with brian uh, brian peacock if you're ever looking at anything 49ers brian peacock's your guy over locked on 49ers now pete now we take it you know the combine and this is you know look uh the, the talk is less because it's just done at a podium and look i'm going to talk about some things there's going to be some questions but it, it's it's about these workouts and wide receivers and first things first, um, guys. Your skill positions. These guys lie about their size. I was one. I know what <laughs> I know what I was listed at in the program, and I know exactly what I was day in day out. So you're gonna find out. And, and one, I always go back to. I think it was Ty Montgomery. If it, 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 it may maybe even been Senior Bowl, and uh, Ty Montgomery flew from Palo Alto down to Mobile. And lost two and a half inches of his height on the flight. So th- this is something you're going to need. You know, look, I, you know, you subscribe me that a guy is six foot two, two ten. Okay, let's get to Indy and let's find out if the guy really is six foot two ten. Or is the guy almost six feet and 195? It does change the ball game. I mean, you're still going to base it on the tape. But, you know, if you prefer your receivers to be a certain size, which a lot of teams do that comes in as a strike against them. The time speed, um, not so much the 40, but other things. For me, obviously, you know, short shuttle, three cone, that tells me what kind of separation you can create in a short area of space, Pete.
1: Uh, so, program height. Uh, a, a couple of years ago, I talked to Mike, Mike Campanero, who was coming out of Wake Forest. I really liked his game. It was virtually uncoverable. Uh, he's, he's with the Ravens. Uh, he told me that a Wake Forest mom involved with the program called him and asked him and that was the extent of it he just told him and they put it in like that's how unscientific that that is even at a big acc school and obviously wake force is tiny in terms of student population all that stuff but it's still an acc school and that's all the effort they put into it so yeah that's certainly important uh but yeah i agree uh the workouts matter uh, you, you can try to dismiss them all you want uh I'm an advocate of do every test every time you can, unless you're just gonna absolutely bomb it on a particular day for whatever reason. Uh, I don't you know, just from my point of view, I don't care if you run a four seven if you turn around and on your you know, your make good, if you run a legit, you know, four or five, not an LSU four or five, like a real four or five. Uh I to me, I, I look at it as you give yourself that many more swings. Not, not to mention if for whatever reason you do better than you think you're going to do and you're done with that test or you finish all your tests, then you don't have to do that anymore and you just focus on the stuff that's going to make you a better football player and skip it, like an offensive lineman running 40s. You don't want to be messing with that stuff into March because you're never going to do it in the NFL. So if you can get it done, be satisfied, and certainly you want to hit the, the right numbers and all that but it's just a way to sort of eliminate the amount of stuff you have to think about instead of it. And if you don't do it at the combine and you save it up all for pro day and you wake up and you just don't have it for whatever reason, that's it. Like you don't have another shot at it. So that's the way I've always approached it, but certainly those things matter. And and you mentioned with receivers, absolutely three cone and shuttle matter the most. Uh, Three cone is the one I look for in particular, but look three cones hips and balance uh, the short shuttle is your ankles if you're a receiver and you're trying to get open those things matter uh, the 40 time isn't unimportant but uh, if I, if if I was deciding which one I could actually watch uh, it'd be the three cone that's the far more interesting event for me because there's more involved with it I mean the 40 time guys generally know exactly how many steps they're going to have in the 40 the three cone is they may know that too but there's a little more natural athleticism that has to come into play and you just sort of have to do it and you see a lot of different movements and stuff that are applicable to what you're actually going to be asked to do as opposed to the 40 yard dash which you're never going to do like that
0: and for me that's you know that you know is a guy a great route runner okay i expect him to put up a good number here this is what we saw on tape or a guy, you know, this is where some of your guys who are a little bit undiscovered or, you know, and uh, Pete, production is huge with him. You know, production shows that, look, if I'm going to give you the volume, can you handle it? Because I don't know if you can, if, you know, just because, oh, well, if you get you throw more balls, it will be fine. It doesn't work that way. And it doesn't create a concern. But this is also where if you're a guy, you know, a, a prime example here is going to be uh, Isabella at uh, UMass. Um, he should test ridiculously well, but you're going to want those confirmation numbers. And as long as you can see it, and now you're watching you know, 40 of the 50 draft-eligible wide receivers all compete against each other on the same day doing it, and you say, wow, every route, crisp, concise, the footwork is perfect. That's what's going to help a guy rise, where he can go in there, catch every ball that's thrown to him, run every route like it's supposed to, give you a clean gauntlet, which shows you how quickly you can transition. And part of what makes that drill great, and I know it does look a little silly, but look, there's times where you're going to be dragging the entire field. And if you're the fourth look, yeah, you may run. The fifty. football field is 52 yards wide. You may run 44 to 45 yards before your, you know, before your turn comes as the fourth, fifth target. Are you going to run it all the way through? Because that's what your quarterback is going to need you to do. So that's a guy who could do a tremendous help to himself. Because everyone thinks he's going to test well. But if he's out there and he's one of the best testers among all of these names... It, it, people are gonna. It's gonna take. It, it's gonna take notice. It's gonna resonate with folks.
1: Sure, and and short of <laughs> you know pulling out for an injury or something, he's gonna be at the Senior Bowl, and that's another opportunity for him to showcase. And he played against LSU and Georgia and showed out well against both. Uh, but I can tell you right now, much like DJ Moore last year, don't rule out the possibility that at least for me, anyway, Andy Is- Isabella has a chance to be the top receiver in the class. Yes, you would uh, prefer he played in a bigger conference than than the one UMass is. But if he he has obviously the production, he's got in absurd production. If he tests well, he shows well, and he does all those things, and he's better than the other guys, he's going to be the top guy. And if teams want to take uh, DK, DK Metcalf, who doesn't have the production, unfortunately because of the injury – uh, then so be it. I will take the guy I, I, can, I can prove. And, I, and, and the way I look at it or the way I've sort of evolved into looking at it is I want to be able to prove why I like this guy. I'm not going to give you, well, you know, he didn't do this in college. He didn't do this in testing, but he should be good anyway. I'm looking at it as, look, he was able to do this much in college. He tested this well. These are things that I can say provably track to the NFL. Doesn't guarantee success by any stretch, but at least I can prove why this guy's worth a certain pick. And that certainly frustrates people, uh, as, as I'm already hearing about guys like uh, Ridley of Georgia and Paris Campbell at Ohio State. And I don't want either one of them. Uh, I'm willing to let other people get those guys right, but I'm going to focus on the guys that have. The, those things that I'm looking for, and and try to eliminate the possibility of failure, and and I can tell you whether both Sashi Brown and John Dorsey have taken guys that were outliers, uh, and I said at the time they were drafted, and it, you know I got crap saying I didn't do this for Sashi, which not true. I told said Deshaun Kaiser couldn't play dead from the second they drafted him. Spencer Drango was bad. I said Rod Johnson was just an awful, awful football player. Uh, I said uh, Caleb Brantley was never going to be worth anything, and currently he's doing exact. He's giving just as much impact to Washington as he is to the Browns right now, uh, and and the same with Chad Thomas this year. Uh, that look, the, there's a reason uh, these things indicate this. You, you know, it's the NFL. You have there's a certain level of athletic ability it's very hard to imagine that you're going to be able to that you're going to say to me this guy's going to be a star in the NFL well what did he produce like a star in college no but he's going to be a star in the NFL that's really really hard and you're basically taking a really really minuscule chance which was my big thing with Deshaun Kaiser he basically had a 0.3% chance that he was going to be you know a multiple time pro bowler just me I don't like those odds, but you know when they drafted him, I had all those people. Well, he's going to be a franchise quarterback, and here we are. Meanwhile, Baker Mayfield, for all the people who are talking about, well, he's too short, he's cocky, and this. And I said at the time, and, and here we are, that if Baker Mayfield is great, people are going to look back and say, well, he was short and he was cocky and he grabbed his crotch. None of those have anything to do with actually playing quarterback other than you don't want to be so short that you can't see, uh, but other than that, he was the most prolific passer, most efficient qu- passer of college football had ever seen. He was athletic enough to play the position, and his tape was phenomenal. What do you see in the NFL? All those things. It's you know, even in the NFL, it looks like he's still at Oklahoma, and he's doing it against NFL guys. So this is where you get into this stuff, and and you know, the same point. This is why I I, I think a Josh Allen is not going to be a good quarterback and i and i hope the bill is uh because the bills bills deserve better much like the browns uh but you know i don't have a lot of faith in that but that's sort of the process and i'm not trying to convince anybody to do it my way i'm happy if they don't because that gives me more uh sort of reason for people to pay attention if everybody does it this way there's no reason to pay attention to me uh so by all means, bet on the outliers, do it your way, uh, and, and we'll, we'll see who ends up where. Jeff and I don't do it the same way, but we end up, uh, you know, with a lot of the same evaluations and, and every other one Jeff finishes second on. That's okay. I mean there's, you know, se- there's no shame in being beaten by the best. <clears throat>
0: It's it's Christmas, guys. Uh, you know, so I'm going to let Pete have his Christmas, his Christmas, his Christmas cookies. Um, you're listening to Locked On Browns here, guys. We've done some wide receiver talk. We've kind of explained, you know, the steps through the draft process, and you know how each one is important, um, and in shaping it, you know. And look, you know, a lot, guys. The film is huge. It's critical, but you know, when you get an opportunity to talk to some guys, and whether the guy, you know. Look, you know, the other thing, I mean, if the guy just says, no, man, I don't have time to talk, you'll give more respect for that than the guy giving you two minutes and he was a dick. So it's like, well, you should have just said, bro, I ain't got the time. You know, there's ways to play this where you don't end up, you know, giving yourself off a bad, bad reputation. Obviously, you know, combine is huge. And for me, you know, I give the combine just a little bit more credit because there's only one thing that's going on there. And everybody is staring at every single individual guy do these things. So if you can go out there and do some of these things and you compete and, you know, you're a guy that, oh, man, he's the shortest guy, you know, didn't play here, da 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 But when they go through it and, you know, based on all the workouts, here is your number three overall wide receiver prospect in this draft, it's something to take notice from. Locked it's down, hard. Couch. The combine is hard. I, 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 I can't say this
1: enough. It's, those guys have a grueling week. They are tired. uh from the medical, from the interviews and stuff, where they actually get out there and work out, it's no joke. So if a guy's waking up and running out like, you know, he's 230 pounds or whatever and he runs a 4-4, you know, that is no joke. Or he puts up, you know, a sub-7-3 cone. Like that, it's it's not an easy week. So, yes, absolutely. That's uh, that I know Jim Coburn, who, you know, obviously you and I both, Yep, uh, listen to quite a bit and take a lot from, you know. That's why if he can, he's always going to take combine numbers as opposed to pro day. I'm more sympathetic uh, to pro day uh, numbers, but. You know, again, outside of things like LSU, where you're running on a 38 yard track, are
0: you telling me Jamal and Jamal Adams did not run 0.2 and a half less of a 40 time when he was down there? Him, him, and Landry, and some of these other guys
1: who managed yes. to knock off a, a quarter of a second running downhill in 38 yards. Yeah, I know. It's <laughs> but but yeah, the combine. If you can go out and rock that, uh, you know, with everything that goes in that, that so when, when a guy like. Miles Garrett or one of these, you know, Jadeve, Jadeve and Clowney and those guys, absolutely knock it out of the park with all the pressure that comes with it. That they're supposed to be the guy and they're supposed to deliver, and they do it. Uh, yeah, you you do have to give them all the props in the world for it.
0: Yes, it, like we said, it's it's a law. It's 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 the biggest stage. It's a meat market. Scouts, coaches, everybody's there. Not to mention the guys you're competing against for draft spots. And look, they all nice, and they all slap hands or whatever. But don't make any mistake. Whatever guy it is, he wants to have the best day and dominate every drill, and hope that somebody else didn't, because it only enhances his own value. Guys, Lockdown Cavaliers. Chris Manning over there doing a fantastic job. Make sure you're, uh, you know, subscribed. Uh, you know, uh, download the show. You know, Chris working hard, uh, working on very hard to put out some, uh, you know, quality content day in, day out. Even though you know the team at times is, uh, you know, obviously struggling badly but you know if anybody my browns fans listeners you guys are definitely sympathetic to the, the situation and understand it as it is now pete we, we can't close this out look uh it's, it's an extremely weird situation what's going on because now you know look 7-7-1 going to this last game that's fantastic you got a chance to go eight and seven which is only going to make this entire thing even freaking more difficult look john went into this and said all right Greg, just get this team through the season. Freddie, just please do whatever you can. You know, don't let this rookie have a bad year. The last thing we want to do is to have Baker, you know, feeling bad about himself or you know, or that he didn't do enough here. All right, none of that's gonna happen. Now, okay, guys, don't worry about winning. I, I don't know if we're gonna be able to win a lot. Just compete every game, week in, week out. Okay, that's happened. But now here you are at a chance to go eight, seven, and one. You got an offensive coordinator who me and Pete were calling Todd for about ten days who's now a just fucking absolute hot name. Uh, Greg Williams, you know, his as a head coach, um, the thing that's cool with Greg, and me and Pete agree with this on, is he's got balls that hold let his offense do what they want because he's also got big enough balls to trust his defense to say, hey, sorry, I put it on you. You got to stop him. Yeah, they only got 45 yards. His son has you know, f- done a nice job here, and he's found a way. And him being a younger guy and thinking outside the box, the way most 21, 22, and 23-year-olds do. That's meshing really well. Now, not to mention, when John fired these guys, he started with a list. Oh, well, I know him. Now, he wouldn't be bad. I know him. He wouldn't be bad. A couple of college coaches here with some really you know, nice prospects. Maybe they're ready to make the jump. So there's guys you want to talk to. You've got Greg in the building. you got Freddie in the building. This has just become... It's just so much more difficult now than just saying oh the browns suck. they fired their head coach again. they're gonna pick a new one and but now all of a sudden you know you got door number one, you got door number two you got the unknowns and I mean I guess it's a good problem to have, but it's gonna make this a very difficult decision.
1: Well, yeah there's there's a million angles from this starting with the fact that that John Dorsey didn't hire a single coach in the building uh so he has no real attachment in fact the only coach he may have been involved in hiring was todd haley and depending on what you believe uh he may have really wanted him to be the interim head coach which in hindsight would have been an absolute dumpster fire um he might have been fired from the the
0: interim head coach gig
1: yeah so i mean that's one angle so first and foremost if John Dorsey is less than 100% in on this staff. I don't expect this staff to be back, or at least it's going to be significantly altered. Uh, First thing, with Greg Williams, um, I think he is the most likely to want to stick around, even if he's not the head
0: coach. There, we agree, absolutely.
1: And it it has everything to do with his son. I don't, because it's, it's, Greg Williams can get a job,
0: and... I, even, yeah, I, I think, you know, uh, people, as, much, as many as we talked about, look, there were teams that would say, Greg Williams, nah, 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 nah. Bounty Gate. I think there's a lot of teams now that are going to say, Greg Williams, the most fun team in the NFL, the team everybody wants to see. He's the one that got this righted over these last few weeks as head coach. Yeah, all right, we'll give Greg a call, if available. I don't think he's gonna get calls
1: for head coaches. I do no. think Bounty Gates still sits there, but I do think he, he is the most amenable to yes. stick around because you know, he is has made himself into a package deal with Blake Williams. And Blake Williams has done a nice job in certain respects. Uh but that makes it difficult is when you're you, you know, you're not just deciding for you. If you decide to quit or you get fired or whatever, I don't see any situation where the kid's not going with him. So that makes it Uh, more interesting. Uh, The thing that I get, see a lot of is people saying, well, if they don't hire Freddie Kitchens or whatever, that he's going to leave. And, and I don't see that simply because I don't see how Freddie Kitchen, who's who's been an offensive coordinator for all of seven games, will be eight games on the Ravens games over. Is it in a hurry to run away from the goose that's laying golden eggs for him, which is Baker Mayfield. So if, He may get some great offers, and and we talked before the show that Jeff was saying, well, he could get great offers to be an offensive coordinator in the SEC. Obviously, he was the quarterback at Alabama. That might be attractive to him. But to me, if his best path from a career standpoint is sticking around with Baker Mayfield for a year or two and letting this kid who is great, he is outstanding, and and I I don't think Freddie Kitchens uh, doesn't deserve a lot of credit for what he's doing, but Baker Mayfield is going to make whatever you're doing look that much better. So if he's around another year, and he's with Baker Mayfield another year, and suddenly the Browns are going to the playoffs, and Baker Mayfield's going to the Pro Bowl, and Baker Mayfield's establishing himself as one of the best quarterbacks in the league, which shouldn't be that difficult for him to do, then you're going to become a real star in terms of coaching. And instead of being a potential SEC offensive coordinator or being a hotshot coordinator in the NFL, it's now what's the job you want? And if you're not getting offered that, you can sort of stick around. But now you're in a position to sort of pick the job, pick your dream scenario and go with it. So I I don't see that being a real rush. The other thing – with this is bruce arians and i know a lot of people are looking at this like it's some silver bullet that bruce arians comes in Freddie kitchen stays as the offensive coordinator because he's worked with arians and arians has named him basically said if he was hired he'd keep him and then greg williams theoretically could become the defensive coordinator again and and they'd go from there it sounds great in theory i'm not saying it couldn't work here's the problem it is very easy. Let's say the Browns go and lose three games in a row or something. Or even in tr- the dog days of training camp, something goes wrong. Or even just how coaching meetings sort of work, where your Bruce Arians wants to do certain things he's done and Greg Williams is basically saying, well, we did things this way. And, you know, you sort of get into this where what needs to be changed, what doesn't need to be changed. You know, ultimately the head coach should have his you know, his final say, go. And then players are sort of looking at this going, well, we like this with Greg. Or you have players sort of gravitate towards Greg as opposed to gravitating towards Bruce Arians. And it becomes more of an issue than people, I think, realize it would be. I mean, you're, you're going from this guy was the boss. He was running the show. They won, you know, five, five out of seven games uh, and all this stuff. And if it doesn't go smoothly for a few games or whatever, do you start to have that natural division? It could work out great and everything goes perfectly. But I do think more than likely Bruce Arians coming in, would likely mean the end of Greg Williams. And even if they keep kitchens, that shouldn't be that big of a shakeup. But to ensure that everybody sort of understands who's really the boss here, that they'd sort of eliminate that. And And, and in some ways – that greg williams might prefer that not because he doesn't want to work with these players or whatever but he may be able to see this and greg williams in particular if you've never seen the uh nfl films thing or whatever the whatever show they do where they look back at uh old seasons or whatever greg williams was there with the oilers in 1993 which was a giant mess with Buddy Ryan, Kevin Gilbride, and Jack Pardee, and all that. He saw he was there firsthand for Buddy Ryan punching Kevin Gilbride, so he sort of understands <laughs> that wh- where these things can go wrong, where where this can be a problem. So he may see that. But the the thing that worries me is like basically Bruce Arians comes in, uh, you know, he and Greg Williams basically go, oh, this will be great. We're going to be awesome at this. And then by week four, they sort of go, eh you know, you see these problems arise. So, you know, I don't think there's a coaching hire that's going to magically just bring the staff back unless you're willing to go Greg Williams as the head coach and retain the staff and get rid of Famous Amos and some of these, you know, see what else you want to sort of tweak with this. Uh, but the problem there is obviously John Doris. The, the last thing I'll say on this, you cannot pick the coach based on 2019 you have to pick this based on the next four years. They can't do what essentially John Dorsey just did with Hugh Jackson, and what Browns did with with uh, Eric Mangini and uh, Mike Holmgren, and basically say, "Well, he was good enough for these last couple games, or we're, we're not ready to upset the ship yet." You know, you've got to make that marriage of we're doing this the next four years. You know, everybody's on the same page. Don't give yourself an an opportunity for there to create problems which you just dealt with, with Hugh Jackson versus Todd Haley, with Hugh Jackson versus the front office, all, with all these things. Eliminate those potential issues before they come up. So, the long and the short of it, I don't have any answers when it comes to the coaching thing. All I can do is give you why it could work and why it couldn't work. And my fingers are crossed that they that they pull out the the, the best. Uh, solution for the job we just don't have we have probably about 1-5% to of the information we need to have really informed decisions it's not like the draft where there's all this information or or free agency where we can look at all these things it's just so much of this is just like feel and what guys are doing behind closed doors and stuff you don't see and then obviously the coaching part some of what you see and some of what you don't see so it's way more complicated than I think anyone wants to admit I don't think there's a simple solution to any of it
0: and for me, the thing with, with with Freddie Kitchens and whether or not he's going to stay here, um, if you hire a head coach who comes from an offensive background, I I, I don't know if that head coach is going to say, okay, yeah, if you guys are cool with him. Look, I, I know what you guys did last year. I was, you know, I, I saw if it's a def- if it's a defensive minded head coach or it is Greg Williams. And you look at Freddie. At I mean, but but if you do get whether it's you know a Dave Taub or an Eric Bieniemy, you're going to come in and say, "Oh, the last thing I'm going to do is screw with this offense." For Freddie, it, it could be the lore of getting a job in the SEC where he's comfortable, where he's from. Uh, hey, it's a four-year you know offense coordinators in the SEC guys. You're looking at a four-year six million seven dollar seven million dollar deal. Can Freddie Kitchens get that type of deal right now today? Look, I mean, I don't know Freddie. I don't know his family. I don't know his finances but he may be looking for a little bit of security. So if the head coach hires, says, well, I'm not sure that's the way I want to go on offense, you could risk losing a guy like Freddie Kitchens. And look, I agree with Pete. Look, you know, I mean, right now they're making beautiful music together. Freddie Kitchens never had a hit, never sang back backup on a hit. Brady Baker Mayfield's going to put out a ton of hits. Freddie Kitchens has got to be kind of got to be, kind of get to be the maestro of it to this point. Would it be great for him to stick around? Yes, it would probably help him. And then when he does want to go, he will be going to the SEC to take over a program, which was what I'm sure ideally he would want if not you know something bigger in the in the NFL but you know he'd be just fine probably something like that but you do risk an issue if how of how this head coach search goes where Freddie's not part of the plans and I think if there's anything that's one thing Pete we don't want to see a separation of is Freddie and Baker right now
1: uh it's tough. Like, sir, there's no question that what you're seeing is a great marriage between those two.
0: Uh, I think, know, I think, and I think Freddie, as much as he's maybe just you know a generic mid-level guy that nobody knew much about and didn't do much, but I think the way he likes to spice it up, mix it up, and gets everybody else hype because look, Baker's hype 24 seven, three sixty five. I think he likes the fact that he's got an offensive coordinator that can keep everybody else to his level of that.
1: Right. So Greg Williams, I think was absolutely the right man at the right time for this job. Uh, my concern is that the emotional high, that sugar high could potentially wear off next season. And you're sort of, you know, back to square one where you're, you're unhappy. Not unlike when Romeo Cornell went to the playoffs, the Browns have seen this happen before. Uh, whereas I think Freddie kitchens and what he's doing has far more of a foundation that, that it's built to last. Like I, I don't, I like, I, I don't necessarily hate the idea of keeping Greg Williams as the head coach. There's a lot I like in terms of attitude, in terms of the way he's sort of developing the mindset of, they're always going to go for the win. They're always going to go for the throat. Like I get that, but, but I could see where that could fall apart. Meanwhile, I, I I look at Freddie Kitchens. I look at what he's doing. I look at the way that he and Baker sort of relate to each other and what he's doing from a schematic standpoint. Uh, and, and I think that has the potential to be a lasting good thing uh, more than the other. So that – yeah, I mean that's – that. there's no question I think it would hurt to lose him uh, – if if they can't work that out, that that would be a difficult loss and add to the pressure of the hire of Dorsey. Like uh, you know, I don't think Dorsey's going to hire scared by any stretch. I don't think that's in his DNA. Uh, not unlike it was to pick Baker Mayfield in the first place. He didn't draft scared, uh, and that's certainly I, I will always say: if you're a general manager, do it your way because you're going to get fired if you don't, one way or the other, there's, if you're going to go down, you might as well do it your way. And whether you're a GM or your head coach, you're hired to get fired. Uh, and I think he will take the same approach with that. Uh, when it comes to the head coach, I do think there will be more pressure on him from the fan base. If they ultimately let Freddie kitchens go more than far more than Greg Williams, obviously that if, that it will be a lot of pressure for him to sort of be able to deliver a great coach that fits with Mayfield and can sort of pick up with the offense. Like I think there will be, uh, I I do think that there's a little bit of a, of a, a a little bit of a, uh, a marriage that in a honeymoon effect with him. Uh, But I do think that if like they, they, they let's say they go with McCarthy just as an example, because he's sort of prominently out there. And the Browns offense comes out stuttering next year and they're, they're not as good as maybe we expected them to be. I do think there'll be added pressure on John Dorsey that Freddie Kitchens is out the door. They brought in this new guy, everybody's sitting there going, well, you had this great coach that was great with Mayfield. Why did you mess with it? And that's why I think this whole thing is very delicate and much harder uh, than, than people want to realize. Uh, but, but uh, again, with Greg Williams, uh, I, 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 I do think there's a comp- compelling argument to be made that that five the five and two uh, that they largely beat teams that they were supposed to beat that there was somewhat of an inevitability that they were going to get better. I don't know if they would have been five and two, uh, but you could certainly make the case that they you know certainly would have been better won more games than they did uh, with Hugh Jackson. Uh, that anyone could have, you know, to steal Hugh Jackson, that anyone could have been better than Hugh Jackson, uh,
0: <laughs>
1: that, that that you do run the risk of getting caught up in, you know, a prisoner of the moment, that you do get caught up in, in the emotion that it, that it wears off. Um, you know, there there, there there may be a real thing that Greg Williams just has a great fit with these guys that the whole fight for respect thing can can sort of keep them going and taking that next step and sort of, the attitude he has, sort of the attitude they've had with like guys like Jam- Demaryius Randall and, and Jabril Peppers and Baker Mayfield where they all are sort of assholes in the best way possible that sort of really fits this uh, city and, and, and this fan base and where this team wants to go. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just complicated. But I, I, I 100% agree that that there's nobody on the staff Right now, that's more valuable than Freddie Kitchens, and and and, and you know I know I, I, I know this has come up a little bit, but Adam Henry has certainly earned his his paycheck this year. Uh, he's a guy who's who's done well, seemingly when, when it comes to guys like Rashard Higgins and Antonio Callaway uh, and, and Brashad Perryman uh, that, that you'd like to see him back. So uh, the more more difficult. I think this is more difficult than the quarterback decision was last year. Obviously, I thought Baker Mayfield was the guy far and away. But I think this decision is going to be far more difficult to make than 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 landing, than picking the franchise quarterback was.
0: Yeah, I mean, because now all of a sudden, I mean, you've got a lot going. And you look at it and say, oh, well, you know, what if it was Baker versus the Saints in Week 2? You know, what if, you know, it wasn't Baker's first NFL start in Oakland? And things of like that. And now if you're going to walk out of this with over an eight-game span of six wins, now you're saying over those other eight, okay, could these guys have shown me three or four from those eight games, Tampa game, that was very easily winnable. So if you're at eight, that right now, I mean, now you're at nine, now you're at 10. I mean, so you know, it's it, it, the cause is there for what's in the building. And look, John Dorsey, this is, when he threw those two guys out, and now where they're at, I mean, at the time, okay, I've got a new head coach. I'm going to go through all the contacts I've got between the Packers and the guys in the building here. We know everything there. Um, obviously, my Kansas City ties, we've got a whole bunch of guys we want to talk to. But now it's, well, do any of these guys wow me more than what's gone on here over the last eight games? And what became a very simple and easy process is now, well, I guess i got to start in-house with what's going on first.
1: You mentioned it at the beginning when it came to evaluating players, and, and you talked about Greg Robinson. Uh, I think if the Browns win or lose Sunday against the Ravens, we will put way too much emphasis on that game as regards it's to the coaching happen. staff. Like, we, can't, we will not be able to help ourselves uh, if they go out and, do, you know, dominate the Ravens, you know, that'll be, oh, we've got to keep Rick Williams. I mean, they, they swept the Ravens. They, you know, he went and dominated a team that was, you know, had a chance to win the division and all this, and, the you know, the former Browns and a team that you can arguably, arguably hate more than the, the Steelers and all these things. Meanwhile, if they go out and get crushed By the Ravens they go get Lamar Jackson
0: can't throw he ran all over us Greg Williams doesn't know a thing right like and and that's you know and and the other part of
1: that is and, and you sort of mentioned it is the Saints and if Baker was there for the Steelers maybe those games go differently at the same point the Browns could have easily lost two or three of the games that they won since greg williams took over they just happened to make plays at the end like those are games that were in doubt largely until the end of the game so like the broncos let's you know something goes wrong you know they don't score that touchdown or the broncos do go down the field and, and make a play and win the game you know i i wouldn't get too caught up in the five and two simply because yes he certainly gets credit for those wins and yes you know that's his record but if you know the Browns are 3 and 4 with Greg Williams and the games are largely the same in terms of how competitive they were is anybody sitting and go well we need to keep Greg Williams the answer is probably not whereas you know 5 and 2 potential to go 6 and 2 all of this stuff makes it more tant- tantalizing and I, and I think it's going to be obviously first difficult to do but second, really requires a sober, as emotionless uh, pro- process as possible when it comes to particularly Greg Williams, far more than Freddie Kitchens. When all is said and done,
0: yeah. And, and look, it, there's going to be a lot of work to be done, and I, I don't think it's going to be quick. Um, you know, sometimes I mean, for for Greg and Freddie, it's going to be a lot of bird in hand.
1: Well, um, let, let's make something very clear. The Brown, I, I would be stunned if the Browns hire somebody quickly. I would be absolutely stunned. The only way that happens is if they basically go, we you know John Dorsey's a hundred percent in on the staff they have there and they go, we're good. we're we're taking this. But if they're actually interviewing guys and and obviously you and I both would really like them to talk to Eric Benemy, for example, and they're in you know the Chiefs go to the AFC championship or whatever. They're, they have to wait to be able to hire that guy. They have to wait to be able to interview those guys. Like, if they're really interested in taking a, a due you know, the, 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 the real process in this interview, and I think they should, even if it's just confirming that the, the staff they have is the right guy, where if they go out and talk to Eric Bianami, they go out and talk to, you know, whatever coaches are in the playoffs that are on their list that even if it's just going to tell them, well, Greg Williams, this is why Greg Williams should be the guy, or this is why Freddie Kitchens, we need to keep him, or he's the guy, um, that they can't be scared to basically find somebody better. That would be incredibly stupid and, and, and in my opinion, rash. Uh, And, you know, if Dorsey's 100% in on these guys, so be it. But I do think there's something to be said for take your time, make sure that whatever decision you feel comfortable with, because again, it needs to be about the next four years, not about not just about next season.
0: 100%. Guys, um, this has been uh, a Christmas edition here at lot, Don Browns. Uh, me and Pete Smith have gone through uh, the wide receiver article that he uh, talked about today. Um, we went through, you know, guys, how the whole draft process is going to go. Obviously Pete's going to, Join me a ton. We're gonna do a lot of draft talk, and it is the tape, and it is the All Star Games, and it is the Combine, and it is gonna be. And you know, I have some guys already committed, so we're gonna get to talk to these guys, and you know, and just see how they handle themselves because you you it's it's a big transition. I mean, you are you're on a college campus, you're a big big dude. You're gonna go into the NFL. You're going to be maybe a nobody for a while. You know, but and how are you gonna handle that? And how do you handle the media? How do you handle just talking ball? How do you handle every aspect of it? Um, so we, we got into that, um, the head coaching ordeal. Uh, look, this is a whole different hill of beans now than when you know they named an interim coach in Greg Williams, Freddie Kitchen was going to take over the offense. And what's gone over this past eight weeks? So I mean, there are going to be a lot, a lot of long nights in Berea. We're gonna have a lot of fun talking about it as it all unfolds. Uh, for Pete Smith, uh, as we mentioned, the wide receiver all oh, hero. Check it out over guys at NFL Spin Zone um go ahead follow pete uh locked on brown's twitter account we always keep a follow back um for me myself guys jeff lloyd uh always follow at jeff underscore lj underscore lloyd um got a lot here we're going to close out the season strong here guys uh we should have a pff episode up tomorrow a little tough you know uh you know, obviously john's got young kids so you know a lot going on for him christmas wise apparently got a dog too for christmas yes 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 so uh yeah let's see his son's already made appearance on the podcast maybe we'll get the dog on tomorrow in some capacity but, guys, uh, I do appreciate everything. iTunes those ratings reviews, they're fantastic. Like I said, uh, Pete and I both joined uh, Paul Brown's 12 Days of, you know, Brown's Christmas, which was a fun thing to do. We, you know, Jake Burns was on the show. You know, Nathan and a bunch of other guys who have been on the show. So, please check it out. Um, fun's just fun stuff. And, look, guys, if, if you're not doing this and you can't have a little fun every now and then, I mean, you just got to loosen up. And that that's kind of where Paul comes in because if anybody can keep it loose, it's definitely Paul Brown. As we always say when we close the show here, guys, on Locked On Browns, LGB on the LOB. Let's go, Browns.